Welcome along to the Loftcast. I'm Ian Taylor from the club's media team, and today I'm joined by club ambassador Andy Sinton and my media colleague Paul Morrissey. Owing to the Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday nature of the past week or so, we've got three games to look back on on today's Loftcast. Bolton, Sheffield United and Nottingham Forest. A case of the good, the bad and the damn right ugly. We're also going to be joined by this man. Anua gets back, Swift joins the attack. What a save from Smithies! Andy, Paul, thanks for joining us. Andy Sinton looking very brown and bronze. A nice little trip away. Um, and during your time away, it's been a bit of a mixed bag of results. One uh, one win and two defeats. One very heavy defeat. Um, but let's look back on the win, firstly, the home game against Bolton Wanderers. Ten days or so ago um, to the day that we're recording this. It does seem a long time ago, but, but looking back, um, and I know you've watched the highlights since... Um, it was a, a well-deserved win and a very important one at that. Yeah, fully deserved win for me, considering the amount of chances we created. Uh, you know, the efforts at goal. I think Ben Anik, their goalkeeper, has been really busy throughout the game. Um, so, yeah, and vitally important if you looked at the league table going into the game. You know, Bolton, one of the teams below us, it was hugely important that we got the win, and we did. And generally, Moz, we've done well in those games this season. It was another one ticked off um, I say generally we've done quite well because we're going to be talking we about Nottingham Forest shortly <laughs> yeah we do the, the damn right ugly but um, it, it was a good performance and the red card itself whilst of course it had an impact on the game itself Rangers were largely dominant for the majority of that game and it probably had little impact in terms of the final result yeah even though both goals were scored after Mark Little was sent off like you say we were dominant prior to that and for much of the game they certainly had a couple of chances Alex Smithy's pulled off an, an excellent save to his right at nil-nil but the chances that we created over the course of the 90 minutes is what I found encouraging against the team that are a, a team we're, we're looking to beat to push down to keep them below us mm. and it was a, a dominant performance and the number of chances created was certainly encouraging and Matt Smith it was probably one of his best games in terms of chance creation he always needs a little sighter before he scores but over the course of the, the whole game I thought he, he caused them so many problems and he, he fully deserved his goal as well but yeah I would completely agree it was a, a fully deserved three points and a, a very important three points what was encouraging is it was only a couple of weeks prior to that that QPR had made very hard work of having an extra man um, up at Bristol City lessons learned from how we didn't cope 11 v 10 at Ashton Gate and, and yet we did a couple of weeks later at, at Loftus Road against Bolton yeah I think so I think you know sometimes it becomes a little bit harder to play against 10 men sometimes and we we, we saw that at um, at Bristol City I think that was more down to us than Bristol did you have actually. examples of during your playing yeah, days where yeah, yeah. You, you're up against 10 and you yeah. just for one reason or another whether it's psychologically can't, or can't find a breakthrough but what I felt we didn't do at Bristol City was stretch the pitch by the introduction of Paul Smith against uh, Bolton. He gives you that you know, electric pace, he, he stretches teams, he puts them on the back foot. So I think that was an important substitution and he does great for uh, Matty Smith's goal. Mm. Tactically, you say about um, how you approach against 10 men and stretching the pitch. What, what exactly do you mean by that in terms of exploiting the, the space? Because it's, as soon as a, a team goes down to 10 men, it's almost quite commonplace to go 4-4-1 four, four, and just leave the, the one man, man up top yeah. how do you tactically approach that well I always think uh, you know the teams I've played in or even when I'm managing I think you make the pitch as wide as you possibly can you try and stretch their back four 
as far across the width of the pitch as, as you possibly can. Uh, going back to the Bristol City game, I know we're not talking about that, but we played three up in the second half of Bristol City, but played quite narrow, so their back four can go nice and compact, and you're not getting around the sides. Um, but as I say, with uh, with young Paul Smith, he's, you know, his introduction gives you that pace to get around the back. It uh, just gives you that little bit um, better uh, dimension. And the manager got it right, didn't he, with that change? It, with, Jay Bidwell was actually having a good game. His delivery in the first half for Matt Smith was exceptional, um, to the extent where one of my colleagues said we should rename him Jake Beckham at one point because <laughs> he was really whipping in some great crosses. But credit to the manager for changing that because he did bring on, on young Smithy and he, he made a real difference. But just looking back on that, that first goal, again, it's, it's a great delivery into the box. Matt Smith does what he does best gets gets above his man puts the ball into a really dangerous area and it was probably one of the easier finishes that Joel Lynch will have throughout his career but it was important because then that mm. just really that almost put the tie to bed didn't it even at 1-0 you felt that we'd, we'd go on and see it out and at the time I thought he'd nicked the goal off Matt Smith but actually seeing the replays it, it, it was needed but also you see how Matt Smith shaped his body he did exactly what he was looking to do, which was put it back across the goal. He knew he was probably too too narrow to go, go on. How often do you see that? Even yeah. though the, the the angle is so narrow, people still have a, a go at goal. And it's so frustrating when there's a, a packed penalty box, or a packed six-yard box in that case. And I thought Matt Smith, very clever with the what he did. He did very well to actually get it back across yeah, it in the way it, that he did. It and does uh, really well. Does Joel really Lynch well. capped off a, another excellent performance from him. He's been very good in recent weeks here with the goal and like you say richly deserved for the team and uh, fully deserved three points and it was great that we could um, even get the, the second as well yeah just that, that header for the second that's one of those that you send it back from where it came from they're the really difficult ones for a goalkeeper to, to read aren't they let alone let alone try and get a glove on the save yeah, I think uh, you know more for me I'm a bit biased you know, but Paul Smith you know he backs his defender into the box he's, he's positive he's only got one thing in his mind he's going to get to the byline mm. you know it's it's something we don't see not just at QPR but in the modern game it's it's not really something you is see is that his fearlessness is that I think that's in it. I think that's in his game. It's fearless. It's it's just in him. I think he looks to be positive all the time. And I think the uh, defender didn't fancy the run either. No did chance. He? He, he let him go. Basically. Well, also by doing that, from a, from a defensive point of view, if a defender's going to make a tackle in that situation, he's got to be one hundred percent spot mm-hmm. on. So you you're putting that seed of doubt in a defender's mind. He gets to the byline and he's got the. Uh, the ability then to find the cross and he's, he's basically saying to Matty Smith go and put that in the back of the net which I thought Matty Smith's performance deserved on the day he on did well as well sorry he did very well with Carl Henry all over him when yeah. that ball came in yeah very much so no it was, it was a good finish and uh, he's a real threat <coughs> yeah so on, on to Tuesday night then at, at Sheffield United and it's a, it's a cliche isn't it there's plenty of football cliches out there but it really was a game of two halves because we started for the first 10 minutes actually we, we, we were actually in and amongst them and, and created a couple of, of half chances but once they got the first and then the second followed soon after it looked like a real uphill mm. uphill struggle but we really did battle back well in that second period and for my money at least for what that's worth um, people listen will probably say very little but it was a game that I've, I felt we deserved to get something from yeah, I think the, fr- the str- frustrating thing, and I think the the players and the manager had this frustration as well afterwards, is that it almost took until the second half and Luke Freeman's to go carbon copy of Wolves to, really, to an extent. Exactly, yeah, to really go at them, and you're looking and thinking, Sheffield United are, are just desperate here for the full time whistle mm, because up. all of a sudden we were creating so many chances. They looked nervous and edgy, and the Sheffield United fans. I wasn't at the game, but watched on the stream listen to what you were saying Ian very the, the Sheffield United fans were 
certainly edgy, even when they were seemingly comfortable. Yeah, Bramall Lane's the kind of ground that you expect there to be you know, a real 12-man mentality, but uh, even at 1-0, I think because their results have been a little bit iffy since the turn of the year and over the Christmas period, they had a bit of a dip and they've dropped out of automatic and they're now on the verge of that 6th, 7th place scenario, aren't they? But yeah, the crowd were very edgy and that's why you just sense that the longer the game, I, I honestly believe that if the game had lasted another five minutes, mm. it, it would have probably ended the draw. We might have even nicked it. But sometimes, when you go away from home, you give yourselves too big a mountain to climb, and that's Wolves, Sheffield United. Now games up on another day, you take two, four, maybe even six points from, and you're left with zero. Yeah, you know, <coughs> sorry, I think there's a. A couple, much, ga- a couple of games that you've mentioned, sun, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, little tickly cough, and you come <laughs> back to the. That's UK. what happens after cigars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool, I wish. Uh, no, it's the uh, the snow that I've come back to. But uh, now I think sometimes you know you mentioned the Wolves game and the Sheffield United. Almost you give yourself too much to do. For me, the Sheffield game. Sheffield dominated the first half. You know, Alex Smithies has made a wonderful reaction to say Billy Sharp's missed a good chance. Then they get the goal, which for me is. Disappointing, actually, because it's it's that near post flick again, which we've been undone. I look at Middlesbrough. I, I look think at the actual disappointment for Ollie afterwards. I've been mean, spoken to him at length. Was the corner initially comes from, yeah. and they spoke about it all week. One of the three centre halves breaking from deep, yeah. getting into an advanced area, get a corner, near post flick on free header, yeah. back post. He's completely unmarked. I think it was Alex Baptiste, but possibly that lost. Yeah, his man I think there. he just lost his runner steam and scores at the back post. You know, but it's um, you know. It's, Two or three goals in recent weeks from that near post corner. Yeah. As I say, you know the Middlesbrough one, Bristol City scored with it. Especially uh, in the Championship, so many goals are scored. And I'm sure we do not planning for it. Well, I'm not sure. I know they're doing their planning for it, but it's just the case of just someone fractionally switching off a split second. The, Fine margins, and that's all it takes, you know. So uh, then we go into the second half, you know, and it's um, uh, we had a, that was a crazy sort of sixty seconds, if you like, you know, where Luke yeah. Freeman's had a great shot. Keeper makes a good save, comes back. Connor's there for the rebound. Keeper makes a wonderful save again. Fifty odd seconds mm. later, they break and Cars open, didn't they? They uh, Lutstrom scores a little bit too easily, but you know, in sixty seconds again, we can talk about fine margins or you know the differences of games. So that's the difference from going one nil. Yeah. Um, I won all, sorry, or two nil. As an attacking player yourself, how good was Luke Freeman's goal? That oh, was a great goal, you know, where he, I was pick- talking to Sid, <laughs> where he picks it up. And we've seen him do it time and time again. You know, he's, he's got that great balance. He shifts it, he does that little step over, which uh, when it's done in the right areas, it's really, really effective. Uh, and, a, and a great finish gets us back into the game. Then it's just a case of can we or when will we get the equaliser? Unfortunately, we didn't. And we, we leave sort of South Yorkshire empty handed, but sort of buoyed particularly by the second half performance yeah very much so and that's why it came as a, a real surprise that Saturday's result uh, 5-2 defeat at home tonight in the Forest you do get freak results like that every now and then in the season don't you but I don't know where you start with this mm. one because at nil nil, we had a great chance Matt Smith headed off the line and um, the referee had a look on his watch and uh, there was no over the line decision forthcoming but then Forrest really took a stranglehold. Ben Watson, um, I thought, was outstanding in the middle of the park. Lee Tomlin, despite looking like a pub player, looks a couple of stone overweight. And I think even the Forrest guys admit that. But when you've got the talent that he's got and you're given the space that he was given, you're always going to struggle. And, and to be fair to them, um, the goal just before the break was probably deserved at the time, albeit when you do concede um, so so close to the half-time whistle. It, it really does knock you bad, doesn't it? 
Yeah, Forrest, you know, in possession, I thought they were excellent up their place earlier in the season. Uh, mm. you know, and they've got some good players. You mentioned, you know, that, that midfield three of Tomlin, Watson, Colbeck, yeah. you know, all experienced, all good players. Uh, Lolly and Cash were a threat. You know, you got the kid up front that we saw score four goals in an under-23 game 18 months ago when we were raving about. <coughs> you know, you got probably arguably the best player, Osborne, playing as a, a left-back, left but as excellent, you know, so they were really comfortable in possession. Uh, but again, you know, eight minutes before half time, the first goal is disappointing for me because we actually get caught with a counter attack and they're breaking on us 4v4. Yeah. At one at one point, squares it, it's a good finish, midfield runner not tracked. And mm. no matter what level you're playing, if you give good players time and space, pick you off. they will hurt you. Yeah, and the disappointing thing was that Forrest had come into that game um, on. on on you know, a six-match winless run, mm. so there was a real opportunity for QPR to continue their fine home form. Three wins from four at Loftus Road since the start of 2018, but it went disastrously wrong, Paul. And then those two goals, 47 minutes, Tomlin, 51 minutes, Lolly, that really took the game away from us. And yeah, you know, we've seen some comebacks here over the year, but you, over the years, but you didn't really sense that Saturday was going to be one of those. Even when Masluongo pulled one back with. 22 minutes to go yeah and I can imagine the great disappointment for Ian Holloway is he spent 15 minutes in at half time explaining how we get ourselves back on level terms and within 6 minutes of the restart you're 3-0 down and then where do you go from there completely and where he did go from there was well if we are going to get back into this game we're going to have to take huge risk and he practically went with two defenders Mm. in, in a bid to do so and we, we pulled one back and then there's that sense of can we can if we, we can yeah. get the second and there then there was that sense w- of that for a short was. while just I because there was. of the open nature of the game it didn't ever feel like QBR were playing well enough to get back into it and you know somehow mount an incredible comeback but because of the nature of the game you weren't here Andy but I know you've seen highlights but it was just going from end yeah, to end yeah, it was yeah. like a basketball, basketball match game, at yeah. times yeah, yeah. it was bizarre and like I so said when Luongo pulled the one goal back and then Ibire had that chance mm. on, on the edge of the box yeah. and also Paul Smith had a, a great chance in which he pretty much created himself he, he pulled it down on, on the right he left the defender on the backside, and with the left foot he's put it just wide of the far mm. post and that would have been to make it 3-2 and you think had we then it really would have been that Game element on. of excitement but like you say because of the nature of it because of the, the need to almost be a little bit kamikaze and gung-ho going forward if we are going to pull three goals back yeah. we are going to be exposed at the back and that was the it was the whole risk and reward and unfortunately the the risk turned out greater than the reward didn't it yeah 4-1 becomes 4-2 um, another lovely headed goal from Matt Smith who is you know despite people criticising him he's, he scored a number of goals this year obviously a number of those with his head but he's proven that he's a handful um, a good downward header again and then Brereton who we talked about he likes scoring at Loftus Road be it for the 23s or the first team he makes it five and Ollie was very scathing afterwards um, he turned, you, you spoke to him afterwards Paul and he, he didn't pull any punches in his assessment no he said his biggest disappointment was the work rate he felt that we weren't pressing and, and getting you can't really accuse this current you know they may have their faults they might not be good enough in certain games but the work rate I mean we talk about Gary Neville we've spoken about this in the office and what he said about Arsenal this mm. week and you know you don't walk on a football pitch there's very few times this year you could ever accuse Rangers players of, of shirking that, that work rate and that responsibility but Saturday they were just a little bit off it and like Andy said earlier if you are off it just by a fraction just by a small percentage it, it can make all the difference yeah and I'd imagine the legs get a lot heavier when you're 3-0 down and, and chasing the likes of Tomlin who you might be able to catch him in a foot race but 
you do well to get near him because like you say since it's all in the head and the ball's gone by the time you reach him so I think that would have taken a lot out of them as well because they were having to chase the game and yeah three One games in a week but they've all yeah. got that so you can't really use that as an excuse is it just a, a bad day at the office but Ollie did take responsibility himself he said ultimately I picked the team um, you know, I, I've got to hold my hands up and that, that's quite difficult for a manager to admit that afterwards especially when they've been on quite a good run at home as well it's always hard for a manager you know after a it's probably the last thing you want to do is let's dress, dress it up you know horrendous home defeat you've just conceded five goals you've, you, you've seen your team perform nowhere near like you know they can and have done and want you know but uh, so Holly will you know he, he didn't shield himself he, he, he took the blame but but for me pleasantly to stand up and be counted you know if you're selected no matter if you're playing the Queen's Park Rangers Rochdale Manchester United, once a manager picks a team you have an individual responsibility to make sure you're right the day before or the few days before the evening of the morning before and you're responsible for your own performance mm. what we saw on Saturday was pretty much not acceptable for the majority of the team. They were well below the best, and and that's why you get un, undone and you get undone in the manner that we did. There was a team meeting held, as there always is on a Monday, but I expect that the team meeting, looking back on this one, was mm. probably uh, a more lengthy affair than than the previous. Um, certainly, Anna, analysts after the after the home games that we've had here, I'm sure there was a lot said. I'm sure there were a lot of grievances aired. Um, it's now about bouncing back, isn't it? Yeah, and. What I I genuinely believe about this group is they are very honest in that they will say what they think, and you can see that on the pitch. Now, I've I've seen QPR teams over over the years, and they will concede a goal, and they'll just turn and go back to their positions. Whereas this, there is you don't you, you look around, and there's a few rollickings been dished out. Whether it's Jack Robinson, you, you see him get involved, Mass Luongo, Luke Freeman, that they don't pull their punches if they feel that someone hasn't done what what they should do mm. which I think is encouraging but since from your point of view being the fine footballer you were I'm sure you went on the end of many um, bad results but I'm sure they did occur how important are the leaders the more experienced players in dealing with the situation you talk about the manager he took responsibility that's one thing but the players as a group it's important that leaders pull each other up isn't it and you you sort of almost get yourselves going. Well, what uh, the weekend would have been, it would have been a horrible weekend for everybody, but more so because I've been there for a manager. You know, he would uh, players might have disappeared on a Sunday and spent a little bit of time with their family because I've been a player, you know, you, you, you escape a little bit. That performance would have stayed with Holly and his coaching and staff until he saw them again on Monday morning. Yeah. So the meeting would have been really, really important. What you're hoping to get out from that meeting? Well, I think you know you you leave nothing on un, un, untouched in that meeting. You know you get everything out in the open, whether that's anger, frustration. Uh, you get it all out there. You, you you go through it. You ask the players' point of view because what we're looking at a team meeting where we're discussing a poor performance. Well, I was a team meeting three weeks ago on a Monday after the Bristol City game. Yeah. Uh, so that's where I'm saying, and I'm I'm, I'm not apologising. Sometimes the players really have to stand up, look themselves, and ask themselves why, because they can. We've seen them beat Wolves here. Mm. We've seen them beat Sheffield United. Mm. We've seen them put in some great performances. You're not bad players if you can put Wolves under the cosh two weeks ago for 35, 40 yeah. minutes what I would be saying is uh, as, a, as a manager and a coach you know why is the inconsistency happening 
to the degree that's happened in, mm. the, in, the, in the last sort of few weeks. So get it out in the open, nail a few. I'm sure Hollywood have absolutely nailed a few. Players might need to nail each other, but it's left in that room. Mm. Once you come out of that room, you get back to work. You you don't back on the horses. You, you don't put it behind you, but you have to learn from what what you did and why it happened. And so, right then, you get down to some bloody hard work on the training ground and make sure we're prepared to go to Aston Villa and we make it as hard as we hard as we can for Aston Villa to beat us. To to put you on the spot, you say Ian Holloway as the manager will be saying, "Why has this inconsistency happened?" Like you say. They've beaten the top teams, beating Wolves, beating Cardiff, beating Sheffield United, and then we get a slap like that against Nottingham Forest. Why do you feel the inconsistency is happening? Because that is really the story of our season. Yeah. We're capable of beating the best teams the division has to yeah. offer. We're just as capable as losing to the, the weaker teams. Why is that happening? It could be... Uh, it possibly can start with one player. You know, not tracking his runner or getting tight because then that affects somebody else then mm. somebody else before you know it, you get the domino effect where it all starts to get undone and, and fall over it's could it be that this is still a fairly new slash inexperienced young QBR squad albeit yeah. the starting 11 isn't but yeah possibly uh, I think you put everything into the mix now having said that I think there's enough experience in our side I think there's enough ability otherwise you wouldn't be able to you wouldn't be able to beat Wolves you know they're not it's we're not just talking of a one-off game that we've we've performed mm. well in we've performed well in a lot of games a lot of games we've performed well from half to half you know sometimes we give ourselves a little bit too much to do but you know it's about concentration it's about you know getting amongst each other demanding more from yourself and demanding more from your teammates because once the manager picks his side and he steps his, his job's been done on the mm -hmm. week now he wouldn't have prepared his team on for the game on Saturday not to get tight because that's not QPR QPR normally are at our best when we stop teams we get in their faces yep. we play at a high tempo we get that high press on we didn't see that Saturday and I know for a fact we prepared to do that mm. Yeah, I mean, we were down at the training ground on Thursday, Friday last week and we saw that. It was just summarising, if, if we have to, and I know you've watched the highlights back and probably more lowlights than highlights, but it was a, it was a harsh afternoon for the likes of Alex Smithers and Masaluonga who were both making their 100th appearance for the club and a performance like that, a team performance like that and individual performances as well shouldn't really take away from such a significant milestone for them both. Yeah, they've both done really well since they've come to the club. You know, I'm a I'm a big fan of Maslowongo. Um, you know, the, certainly the last what, 18 months the way he's played. Um, Alex Smithies, you know, he, he gave a fantastic interview about you know getting out of his comfort zone at Huddersfield, where he was a regular for a number of years from a young kid, having to bring all his family down south. By his time, you know, Greeny was the the number one here. So Alex, you know. Um, he probably had a difficult start of his QPR, but yeah. he's been ex since he's got the shirt, if you like, been absolutely exceptional. In a funny sort of way, this year we haven't had to rely on him as much as what we did last. You know, last year he was making three or four one-on-one -on -one saves every game to win us points on his own. You know, this year I don't think you can attribute many goals to him, uh, blame-wise. You know, so he's had another really good season. He's up for another accolade, which speaks volumes for him. He's a uh, He's a terrific goalkeeper. He's a wonderful kid, a wonderful lad. You know, he wants to get better. You can see he's delighted to be a QPR. Um, certainly, it's not a way he would have wanted to celebrate his um, 
hundredth game, even though you know some of the finishers here they were quality. Mm. You know he can do nothing about them. Mass scores on his hundredth game. That'll be that'll be forgotten. You're in a game where it's it's great to get individual pats yeah. on the back and accolades, but it's a team game. And what those two would have gone home with the other day was, yeah, nice milestone. But part of a team that got well beat at home, but. Uh, both serving the club really well, both talented uh, players, and we're delighted to have them. Alex, thanks for joining us on the Loftcast, celebrating 100 games at QPR. Fantastic milestone. Not the way you wanted to celebrate it. No, not at all. Um, probably one of the lowest points uh, I've had, actually, in a Q- QPR shirt, in being beaten so badly at home. Um, so disappointing. You know, the atmosphere's pretty low this morning, but sort of had a long talk about it, discussed things and we need to move on quickly because we've got some tough games coming up. We're talking on a Monday morning after the Saturday defeat to Nottingham Forest and you've just had a, a team meeting. How important are those meetings? Yeah, it's important to to sort of, for the players, if, if they don't understand what they've done or, or if they have to explain things in the way he wants wants it to, to happen. Um, you know, we have the meetings quite often and you know today was certainly an important one and to get things out in the open and put things to bed because, like I said, we've got a, a massive game at the weekend coming up that's going to be very tough against a good opponent and you know we need, we need to be in the right frame of mind and uh, turn things around quickly because that certainly wasn't good enough. And are they very honest and frank discussions? It always strikes me as a very honest group of players. You can see it on the pitch when you're telling each other in no uncertain terms what you want from each other. Yeah, I think it is an honest group and I think... Um, if a player feels something about another player and says it, you know they have to take it on the chin, and that's that's generally what happens. You know, sometimes um, it's right that players have a little bit of an argument. It shows that they they want to do the right things and they're trying to do the best. And you know, we're trying to keep standards high, and clearly the standard wasn't high in, at the weekend. And it's only the players that can really put things right. And um, you know, now we've had that meeting, we'll we'll put things to bed and and start working hard on on the big game on Saturday. From your point of view, there's not too much you could have done about any of the goals that flew into the back of your net. Is that a crumb of comfort for you? No, not really. Um, to to be beaten by five goals is just utterly disappointing. Um, and as a collective, you know that which we are. It's not about one player or if someone makes a mistake or if something does something well with a collective and. Conceding five at home is just simply not good enough. Getting away from what happened on Saturday, for you personally to reach 100 games for QPR, what does that mean to you? Yeah, like you said, putting that aside, that is a, that is a real honour. That is a real honour because um, I've been at the club two and a half years now, a bit longer, and you know I've, I've found it difficult to get into the side initially, and I knew that once once I got the shirt, I was going to do everything I could to keep it, and you know. I'm glad that I've managed to do that and yeah, I have but in this weekend aside I've really enjoyed my time here so far and um, you know, I think playing week in week out is what every player wants and to, to, to get to that milestone fairly quickly and yeah, I'm pretty pleased with that You joined in the summer of 2015 and like you say you had to wait for your opportunity Rob Green was initially between the posts and that's not something you've been used to throughout your career since you broke through at Huddersfield How challenging a time was that for you? That was very challenging. I think, other than when I had a, a bit of a long injury when I was at Huddersfield with my knee, 
Um, that's certainly the longest period of, of my professional career without playing games and it was tough. It makes you reevaluate yourself and what you can do better and how how you're working and um, I just made sure I put the time in in the gym, on the training pitch, you know, watching other goalkeepers and, and doing as much as I could to get in the team and knowing that when I did get my chance, you know, I'd give it everything to, to stay in there and, you know, I'm, I'm really pleased that that's the way it's worked out. It's, it's hard to imagine now as you've obviously become established and playing week in, week out for QPR, but at that time, did you start thinking, have I made the right decision here because I've gone from playing every week at Huddersfield to watching people play at QPR? Um, I, d- I didn't really want to focus on that because although I knew that that was a probability that I'd have stayed, I'd have, been, I'd have started the season and, pl- and played more games in that first season. You know, the, the decision was made to leave, and, and here I am, and it's down to me to sort of work my way into the team. And looking at the competition, obviously it was greeny at the time. You know, what can I do to, to get in there? And um, it was just down to hard work and biding my time, being patient and, and, and a little bit of mental strength, I think, because mm. it's not easy for players. But you're getting paid to play football and you're obviously not being picked week in, week out. It's tough to take, but like I said, as soon as I got that chance, you know, I wanted to keep the shirt and you know, I'm really pleased to, to reach the 100 games milestone. And putting yourself outside of your comfort zone as well, obviously you, you know Huddersfield very well, it's where you're brought up, you, you know everything about the club. To come away from that down to London, not be in the team, it, it almost tested yourself to see how you would react to that. Yeah, exactly. I said, like you said, it's being a, in your comfort zone. It's exactly what it is. You're, you're comfortable. You're not challenging yourself. And I think to to improve, you sort of got to push the boundaries a little bit further and experience new things and you know have a new challenge. And for me, that was to to move away and challenge for the number one spot again because at my time at Huddersfield, you know, generally it was fairly fairly comfortable that I play, and that wasn't the case when I came here. And um, you know, it certainly pushed me out of comfort zone. Moving away, it's the first time I've had to do that in my career. Um, but something now that I'm I'm really pleased that I've done. And you know, generally I've really enjoyed myself here. And Rob Green's a very experienced keeper who's dealt with the highs and lows of what being a goalkeeper is all about. How much did you benefit from working with him? Yeah, a lot. You know, he's he's been there and done the, done the lot. And obviously he's he's played at the highest level in the Premier League and international football and. For me, that's something that I, I aspire to do, and to so to look at people who have been there and done it, you can certainly learn things. And like I said, that little spell where I wasn't in the team—that's something that I looked at him and, and saw how he worked, and see if I could integrate parts of how he worked to, into my game. And do you feel now you're a better goalkeeper now than you were 100 games ago? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, certainly. I think I've challenged myself a lot more in in, in moving down here and and having to. Let every, all a whole set of new people, all the fans, all the staff, all the players know know what I'm about. At Huddersfield, people knew know, knew what they were getting from me playing 270 odd games. From them. they knew what I was capable of, and to go there and having to prove yourself again, you know, it certainly gives you a whole new lease of energy to go and do that. And you're a very vo- vocal goalkeeper as well when you're playing. You've had to deal with a very constantly changing defensive line owing to the injuries that the managers had to deal with. That must be challenging as well because. It, People often talk about it's all about building relationships on a football pitch. Andy Sinton always says about the team that he played in in the 90s, because it was almost the same 11 every week, there was little relationships on the pitch, whereas yeah, I think that, that must be hard for I you. think that is true. Um, certainly with successful defensive units that I've played in, it's been sort of a, a, a fairly steady team and, and, consistent and, and, and consistently thrive. picked because... 
you start to predict what people are good at, what they're not good at, where you might need to help them a little bit more, information that they might need that they might not see themselves and, and, and vice versa, they can help you with things. Um, and I think it is just with playing games with a, with a settled back three, five, four, whatever it might be, that will, um, you know, you get that relationship and, and you get that consistency. And it has been difficult this year, especially because there have been injuries. That, you know, there's a, there's a lot of players to choose from at the back, but mm-hmm. there seems to be an injury every few weeks, and that's constantly changing, and that's not being easy. But um, you know, I've certainly got a relationship with a, with with a good few of them that I'm starting to trust, and they're starting to trust me, and that's important. And how do you analyse the season from a personal point of view this year? Um, I'm pleased. I'm pleased generally. More often than not, I'm pleased. I certainly would like to have kept more clean sheets, but sometimes things are out of your control mm. in that respect. I wouldn't necessarily say I've been at fault f- f- for, t- for too many goals, but at the same time, you know, I would have certainly liked to keep a few more clean sheets. Recognition of the season that you've just referred to, that you're having, you've been shortlisted for the EFL Player of the Year at the London Football Awards. You don't strike me as someone who's all about himself, but as a, a personal accolade, accolade that, that must be nice to be nominated. Yeah, it's um, it's an honour. You know, I think I was nominated uh, as well last year. I didn't win it, but you know, it's it's nice to to be nominated and and people to be talking about you nicely. And like like you said, I, that's not really my cup of tea. I'm not an awards guy, awards night kind of guy. That's not my scene. <laughs> but you know, it's nice. It's nice that people uh, are recognising the hard work that you are putting in. And this weekend against Aston Villa, they're third in the championship at the moment. They've certainly got an eye on a, a top two place. So going to Villa Park, is this the ideal fixture after a disappointing result or the last one you won? Well, I think it's it's one where we'll have to be completely at it. And, you know, in terms of a bounce back, if we do get a result mm-hmm. there, it'll completely transform the, the mood. Um, and that's what we want. And the fans, obviously, they, they travel in their numbers as well. And they'll be up at Villa Park. There's that desire you can sense it from the QPR players to, to give them something to shout about particularly on the road definitely because generally I think we've, we've, we've let them down a little bit certainly this week and you know away performances haven't been, been quite as consistent as our home performance and results the same so I think if we can go there obviously it's a tough place to go they're, they're a top team in good form you know if the fans get behind us you know I, I think you'll certainly see no, no lack of effort at all from our, from our point um, on Saturday the views there of Alex Smithies and Alex Smithies um, will be hoping, keeping his fingers crossed, that um, he gets his award at the London Football Awards 2018, which is in London on Thursday night. He's been shortlisted for Championship Player of the Year up against um, some tough opposition there, but um, he's had a good season so far, so fingers crossed for him. Looking ahead then, Aston Villa on Saturday. Um, <laughs> You have a really tough result like that and a, a poor performance at, at, Notting, at home to Nottingham Forest and all of a sudden you're up against one of the form teams in the Championship, a side that have spent heavily that many people are, are expecting to, to get promotion. There's no hiding place, is there, Andy Sinton? No, not at all. You know, you've, you've come off the, bad, uh, the back of a, a bad one, which we've just spent quite a bit of time talking about, you know, but um, it's all about the next one now and you're going to a team, you know, won six or seven in a row until they went to Fulham yeah. uh, and got beat they came from behind to get a point against Preston in midweek mm-hmm. came from behind twice the other day uh, at Sheffield Wednesday so uh, you know they've got a they've got a squad at this level full of top top players you know spent heavily both in terms of fees and wages 
got a manager who knows what it's like to get promotion. It's a huge club, huge expectation. But sometimes the closer the finishing line gets, that can become a little bit of a burden. But um, this is the one where, and again, it's similar to your Sheffield United and, and Wolves, where the first 15 minutes, and because they can get edgy, they know mm. that there's a great weight of expectation on the players to get promoted at the first time of asking. They let themselves down last year, but they've reinvested in the squad. They've spent heavily. They've got um, Premier League experience throughout the side. The first 15 to 20 minutes is going to be key again. You don't want to go a goal down in that period because teams like Villa can steal all the teams if they get going. Yeah, you've got to you've got to, you've got to start well. You've got to start solid. You've got to quiet in the crowd. You know, the halt and the be up and everyone everyone outside of QPR will probably expect a, a yeah, home win. People will bab it down as a, a home and, and maybe a comfortable win after the weekend as such. You know, but uh, but that can that can be a positive for us if there can be a positive. You know, we got to go really really start we've got to go with a positive mindset I believe that's yeah. not going gung-ho that's not going and say we're going to open the pitch up there's different ways to be positive and we have to be in the game you know the longer the game goes on I feel that can benefit us because they'll be pushing on we can maybe hit them on the break but to do that you need to be in the game and we touched on it earlier on we went to Wolves and we're two down after 21 minutes your game plan shot we'll go yeah. to Sheffield United you're 2-0 down before you so stay in the game get a little bit of edginess around Villa Park and see how we can win the game from there Would you change things? Do you think that there's a chance that Oli might look at a change in formation maybe the supporters certainly are crying out for four four two with two old fashioned wingers um, do you think that might come into the equation into his mindset as he prepares for this one I think a lot will have come into his equation over the last few days you know but um, he'll be questioning not only his players but he'll be questioning himself now yep. as uh, with his coaches and you know as a manager you pick a team you get a result you've got it spot on yeah. you pick a team and it goes wrong that is yeah. the modern day thing isn't it you know, <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden you, know, you lose at home to Forest and you lose heavily at home to Forest but everybody suddenly dissects everything oh, yeah. home form's rubbish well it's not if you look at it it's three wins from five since the start of 2018 but in today's social media world it gives everybody a platform mm. doesn't it to really just overanalyse maybe everything and also while you never want to ship five goals at home you can't get too carried away by that the, the fact is we've conceded the two late goals or the two goals later in the game because we've effectively gone with two at the mm. back to try to get back in the game it was almost a case of well we may as well lose four or five as lose three nil in trying to get back into the game so to see, blimey, they, they shipped five. They, they're all over the place. Well, actually, you know, we, we've had a bad spell at the start of the second half to find ourselves 3-0 down. And then it's a case of, right, let's take the risk and try to get ourselves back into the game. It, it was a, a poor performance, but I think you can also be in danger of getting too carried away by one result as well. Villa are four points off the automatic places, aren't they? Um, they know they're going to be going all out for the win they need to go all out for the win because Cardiff under Neil Warnock are absolutely motoring at the minute they won 4-2 didn't they they came from behind against Sheffield Wednesday at Hillsborough that shows the mentality of this group of players that we're coming up against they've got great experience like we say they've got players that have played at the highest level they've got players that have been promoted I'm sure it's a really tough one on paper I don't think it gets any tougher you know uh... I said at the start of the year Villa would go up. I still got no reason to change my mind. I think mm-hmm. they will go up, even though they're four points away from Cardiff and they're going well. I think they've got the squad, they've got the depth, they've got the manager, uh, they've got everything about them. And 
you know, we're just listening to Alex there. It's a game on Saturday where I believe, and people might think I'm stupid, um, I believe we can go and get something. But for us to get something, uh, a positive result, we need every one of our players to be bang at it. Mm. Now, how do we set up? Do we go... Uh, 4-4-2 Villa almost a little bit of a throwback under Steve Bruce they'll play 4-4-2 or they usually do now in a 4-4-2 you can be really really attack minded but you can also be really defensively solid as well because it's a straight uh, it's quite a straightforward system for everyone to know their jobs there's no in-betweens what, what do you mean when you say it's straightforward well if it's 4-4-2 if I'm playing left wing and it's a 4-4-2 I know if it goes, the ball goes out to El Mohamedy or Alan Hutton I think he's injured so he won't be playing their right back I know immediately that my role as a left midfield player is to go and close him once I go whoever's playing behind me years ago is Clive Wilson let's say I'm playing in front of Jake Bidwell as I go to close the right uh, back he then goes tight on the Right on the right side of midfield player the, the left hand centre back then goes channel side to stop anything going down the channel so you're all shuffling Jerry Francis was a master of it but we played there speaks a man who's had that drilled into, into it by Jerry but we played a similar way week in week out Jerry used to tweak it normally but that comes from you know and exactly what's required you know exactly what your teammates doing and if it's not done you're quite entitled to turn around I say Clive Wilson why are you not tight well, uh, I couldn't. Well, make sure you are tight. I'm a bit worried. Don't worry about what's in behind you. Alan McDonald will cover that. Mm-hmm. You know, I should cover that. But we were that well drilled. And if he doesn't, no one will ever go at him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would, but he might have me round the throat <laughs> in the dressing room. But uh, but no. So that can be um, a way of playing. And you know, you never really. If you people harp on about four four two, you never really play with two strikers mm-hmm. you know because when the opposition's got the ball one naturally drops off the supplement the middle of the park anyway so um, Ollie could, could throw in the kids couldn't he this weekend um, would would this be the game that you throw in a Eberich Easy or a Paul Smith I mean it's he could throw them 30 in 30 odd thousand people yep yeah, it's away from home Tough one. a little bit I think it'd be just think you've got to be a little bit careful I think we've got really good kids really promising kids you know, having just come off a bad defeat, a little bit of negativity around the place, is that the right game for them? But, Someone know, like Paul Smith, to me, with his personality, and obviously we don't know him too well, but I don't think it would face him. No. However, maybe someone like Eberi Easy, it, it may well do. I don't know. It's I could see. Uh, I'm not picking a team, and I've got no influence on picking a team. But I can actually see a Paul Smith causing Aston Villa's back four stretching John Terry with Terry his pace Chester. Now. You know, the fullbacks aren't looking. They're decent, but they're not the quickest. Yeah. I could see him causing problems. So we might have to spend periods of the game without the ball but be really solid resolute but knowing as soon as you win it watch, watch your eight ball where's your where can you hurt them and that needs to be worked on all week as I'm sure it will be but I could actually see him if he's in the starting uh, 11 causing them problems <laughs>